beginning our, our systematic study of Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Um, we're still in the first chapter. Uh, it's, 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 we're not going to rush our study. We're still in the first chapter. But before we go plowing away, uh, bow with me in prayer, please. Our Father and our God, again, uh, I just humbly thank you. I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you for um, the air in our lungs. I thank you for the opportunity to, to stand and uh, give your people what you have given me. Father, be with us today, tomorrow, this week, next week, every week. Father, give us that uh, incredible boldness to, to speak um, about the love and the grace that uh, comes so readily and freely from you. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this word. Again, be with us, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, we're in the first chapter, and we pick up at the seventh verse, and it reads, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, as I just said, we're, we're not going to rush this. And you know, I would love to be able to just position ourselves right here on this seventh verse and let this be uh, the exposition for today, uh, but we can't. Uh, and I want to encourage you uh, to, to, to plow through this in our small groups, in our midweek Bible study. But there are at least two major themes or points that are worth pointing out here. Uh, First, in this A part of the seventh verse, we see that Paul addresses the church in three ways. He addresses the church in three ways. First, he says that they are loved. He's, then, he says they are called. And third, they are holy. They are loved, they are called, and they are holy. And each one of these, uh, could we could spend a great deal of time uh, dissecting that. Uh, but suffice it to say, it's a love that's not based on condition or feeling, but on the fact, the reality that God loves us, period, full stop. I've said before, I say now, God loves Jeffrey Dahmer as much as he loves me. Our love, his love for us is not predicated on my goodness. It's not based on even my acceptance of him. I know that's, 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 that's challenging to bad theology, uh, but we need to understand that God so loved the world. He loved the world so incredibly that he sent his one and only son, the best he could offer, to live, die, and then ultimately resurrect uh, on our behalf. Why? So we could ultimately be in relationship with him. Now, whether I choose to accept that gift of love, that offer of love, that's on me. That, that's on me. And there are consequences, both temporally and eschatologically, based on my acceptance of that. So uh, that, I'll, I'll, I'll stop it right there. But just, just really, really, really understand, God loves you. God loves me. Uh, and he especially loves the church at Rome. Uh, they're loved by God. And the second thing, they are called. They are separated. The Apostle Paul was called as is uh, uh, the Paul here in AV, uh, he's called. We all have a calling. We, we are called. 
we are called individually and we are called as a body uh, corporately. Called for what? Well, Paul just tells us. He called to be his holy people. Not holy because they necessarily act holy. This is not a, 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 a get out of holiness free card or, you know, it's like, no, no, well, I don't have to be holy. It says we are called holy positionally. As a result of our calling, we are holy. The holiness is, is extended to us by Christ. Uh, but so, so, so again, if I could wrap that all up, Paul is writing to a people that are loved by God and called by God, and by dint of their, their association with God and their calling by God, they are holy people, loved, called, and holy. That's just the first point of the A part of the verse. The second, part, second point worth considering is Paul's use of the words grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace, charis which sounds a lot like the usual salutation of the time, keri, which translates rejoice. So Paul is, is borrowing from uh, uh, his contemporary culture, and instead of saying rejoice, he's saying grace. Uh, and they sound a lot phonetically. Uh, they sound alike phonetically. But along with this wordplay, he pairs it with a, with a word that's, that's translated for us, peace, irene. But it's not peace like we think of peace. Peace is the cessation of violence. Peace is uh, not punching my neighbor in the, in the nose for uh, 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 letting, uh, letting their dogs loose in, the, in my backyard, which, by the way, has happened. Uh, but but, but, but it, it's, not, it's not the obvious absence of conflict. It's, it, it draws from uh, the Hebrew word shalom, and it speaks to a peace that is, as Professor Nystrom has put it so well, it's a peace that seeks the wellness of the other. It's the peace that goes beyond the physical and goes to the spiritual. It goes to the whole person, uh, much more than physical. It is the spiritual posture and position of the person. It's that space, as I've shared before, I share now, as Habakkuk wrote about, uh, that even though exterior circumstances would dictate, would, would, would indicate that you have no reason to be at peace. You have no, what's the matter? There's, there's no food in the fridge. There's, 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 there's your, your, your bank account is drawn down. You just got laid off. Uh, uh, your, your, your pets just left home. Uh, you, your spouse abandoned you. And what is the profit right? I will still have that peace and rejoice in the love and salvation of my God. That does not come from any human source. I'm not wired that way. You're not wired that way. Uh, grace and peace. Grace and peace. As many theologians have, have posited, that pretty much sums up not only the letter of uh, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, but grace and peace sums up the whole gospel. Grace and peace, grace and peace. That's the, essentially, that's what it means to be a Christ follower. You are enveloped in grace and peace. I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. Uh, what, what am I saying? You're saying that that must be a God thing because I'm not there. And you would be right. 
You'd be absolutely right. As Paul writes, it's from God our Father, made possible by the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I've shared on, on, on other occasions about my mom and uh, growing up in Bakersfield, not a whole lot to do, but one of my jobs was to dust furniture. And on top of one particular table was a bowl. And in that bowl was fruit. It looked like fruit, but it was plastic. It was not real fruit. So you had to get up on it and really inspect it. And one telltale sign that it wasn't real is it was dusty. And it looked like dusty plastic fruit. So I dusted it off. So what's I got to do going down this memory lane down in Bakersfield? It has everything to do with what we pursue in terms of grace and peace. We as people will pursue grace and peace in everything that looks like grace and peace, looks like, boy, if I could just get that 401 up to this level, if I could just go on this vacation, if I could just find that right boo, if I could just do all of those, boy, I will, that will, that's what I call grace, that's what I call peace, that, trust me. Uh, some of the, 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 the saddest, loneliest people I know are married folk. So it extends beyond just being in relationship with anybody and anything. Uh, if, if, if money were the solution to every problem, everybody would be pursuing richness. Uh, rich, richness. And you know and I know uh, that that's not the case. Um, let me stop there. Uh, we'll be here all day. Verse 8. Um, first, Paul goes on to write, first, first not because there's a second, but first, before I go any further, let me just stop and tell you something, first, and that's where Paul is saying, first, before I write any more, I want to thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is by witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I thank God, I thank my God for all of you. And don't miss, don't just quickly bypass that personalization. My God, my God, I thank my God, I thank my God. Uh, why is he thanking his God? Because of their faith. Paul doesn't explain what is, what's about their faith uh, that's, that's particular. It could be that just being a faithful witness in the, in the world's capital is enough. I'm in Rome. Uh, most of the folks that inhabit Rome are slaves. Um, <clears throat> that's interesting. Most of the people in Rome are slaves. Rome's the, ro the, the world's capital. And Paul is, is, is extending information to them that says, because of your faith, it, because your faith is being reported all over the world. That, that in and of itself is an interesting uh, uh, sidebar. Uh, but the text doesn't reveal a reason why their faith has uh, gained world notice, if you will. Paul matter-of-factly writes that their faith is known. But there seems to be a nexus uh, between their expressed faith and Paul's ongoing prayers for them. A people that he does not know on a personal level, he has not been with, and, but he has a desire to go to them. Their faith is incredible. Paul is constantly remembering them in their prayers. 
and he has an incredible, insatiable desire to be in their presence. Begs a question, just begs a question. Who am I concerned about? Who, am I, who do I pray for? You know, we have, uh, we have chaplains, we have intercessors, we have our compassionate, com co compassionate care team that are constantly praying for folks. Uh, they may not even know they're being prayed for, but folks do, they, they often do solicit prayers. But, but my, just my real question is, who are you praying for? You? You? That's, that's the extent of our prayer life? I'm, I'm praying for me. I, you know, I, I got a lot of problems, so I'm just going to, yeah, after five minutes on my knees, that's about it. You know, I'm, I'm good. Uh, you pray for your family. That's good. Do you pray for those that despitefully use you? Do you pray for those that uh, are that thorn in your flesh on your job? Do you pray for the person in line uh, that's got 11 items and it says clearly 10 items or less? Uh, do you pray for the person that cuts you off in the free, on the freeway and then gestures to you? Who do you, who do you pray for? Uh, clearly, Paul is expressing a spiritual connection that goes beyond DNA or any closed circle of friends or acquaintances. I'm, I'm praying for this body uh, that, that, that the whole world is talking about their faith. What is it about it? I don't know. Don't, don't, don't worry about what it is, but apparently it's known. Apparently it's known. And Paul is saying, I desire to be in your presence. Related to this prayer thing, let me just say, things will never be different unless we're different. Things will never be different unless we're different. Unless we are different, we will never have the heart and concern for others. Because once we have the heart and concern for others, then our feet and hands will follow. Ultimately, it's one thing to just, well, you know, boy, that's really, that's kind of sad, that situation there. And then you go on to the next thing. But if you have a real heart and a concern, and you are praying sincerely for someone or something, give it time. You will find yourself doing things. How did I get involved in this ministry? How did I get involved with this compassionate care? How did I get involved with feeding the hungry? How do I get involved? How did I get involved with dealing with those that are unhoused? How do I get involved with the uh, uh, children with uh, single parents uh, uh, or parents with, with children and they're going it alone? How did I, get, how did I develop such a concern? It's interesting that when we move beyond ourselves, when we move beyond ourselves, we will develop that spiritual muscle that looks out for the other. It's a God thing. It's a God thing. That's why Paul goes on in verse 11, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may mutually, may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a great harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. One plus one is more than two, and it's not a number. One plus one is more than two, and it's not a number. Paul had a desire to be a blessing and to be blessed by being in the presence of the church at Rome. Again, people he did not know on a personal level. He heard about them. 
he heard about him, and he wanted to be there in their presence. He writes that he desires to have a harvest among them, and we can speculate uh, what, what that meant, uh, you know, to help maybe to help facilitate the growth of the church, um, as was done, in, that is, as God had blessed him in Turkey and in Greece, that possibly he would be able to do the same in Rome. But he's not content to leave it to others, but is missional in his very being. See, his very desire is to be there, to be blessed, and to be a blessing. Uh, we don't need to speculate why he feels this way. He tells us as he concludes this portion of the letter uh, at the 14th verse, I am obligated both to the Greeks, both to Greeks and non-Greeks both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I am obligated. I am obligated. I'm obligated. I am morally indebted. Um, I, I just, I'm intrigued. I, and maybe it's just the, the I'm weird that way. I'm weird and wired that way. To see how Paul puts this is a moral obligation. See, he writes that his obligation is to the Greeks and non-Greeks, the cultured and the non-cultured, common folk, the wise and the foolish the college educated, and those that are pursuing GEDs. I encourage you not to take a wooden approach to, to scripture and to the examination and interpretation uh, of the text. Um, but his, and, and not to just go there and believe that, oh, well, Paul is saying that uh, his obligation wasn't, uh, was, was to non-Jews because they sponsored his mission trips. Um, Rather, his obligation resulted from being obligated to the one that saved him. Um, I'm obligated. I am obligated. Uh, Paul understood the debt that was paid, and as a result, he was morally and spiritually obligated, constrained to act accordingly. As he writes, that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel and also to you who are in Rome. I, I really am closing. Um, in physics, in physics, uh, I think in this portion of physics, I may have pulled a B, probably a C. But one thing I did learn, it was about Newton's third law of motion. And it simply states that for every action, there's an accompanying equal and opposite reaction. Let me say that again. Newton's third law of motion simply states that for every action, there's an accompanying equal and opposite reaction. Pastor Meeks, is this a physics class? Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But once we truly grasp, once we truly grasp, that, see, that's the problem, is that most of us have this level of understanding of what it means to have been saved by the life, death, 
and resurrection of Christ from eternal separation from God and eternal hell. Most of us are at this level. But when we really understand, when we really grasp the, the depth and the breadth and the love that's associated with what God has done for me, for us, then and only then will we respond in an equal and opposite action according to what was extended to us. That's when we, we, we advance, we put our life in, in harm's way if necessary. We set aside the, the, the comforts of this life. We do whatever is necessary in order to, to please the God we serve. We do whatever is necessary to advance, to build the kingdom of God. Because I have been given so much, my life is to share the gospel with as many as will listen and receive. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. I follow hard after Christ. And because I follow hard after Christ, I want to share it with that, that good news with everybody in every way, in every opportunity that I get. I want to share that news with others. That's it. I'm done. Um, let's pray. Our Father and our God, again, we say thank you. Thank you for, for Christ. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the privilege to, to, to share your word, Father, to, to understand uh, the, the beauty, the breadth, depth, and the extent of uh, what, what grace and peace that uh, you've given us. Father, we just so love you. Thank you for, for Paul's writing. Thank you for Jesus Christ who does all things well. Father, again, thank you. We love you. It's in the name of your son, our Savior, the Christ. We ask it all. Amen. Thank you again for worshiping with us. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, continue to pray for us. Uh, pay particular attention to the, to the announcements that have gone out, not the least of which is uh, uh, the upcoming uh, use of this facility as a COVID um, vaccination hub. Uh, look for details in the, in the coming days and weeks. Thank you so much. Blessings.